Today's episode is brought to you by a little-known company called Aloha.Agency. That's A-L-O-A.Agency. They are not based in the Midwest. They are based on the West Coast in California. They do all kinds of things that digital brands need to thrive and survive and all of the things in this modern world, such as prototyping, UI, UX design, data analytics, SEO, SEM, AdWords, ads management, content, creative, video production, audio production, 3D design, literally every single thing you can think of that goes into a digital brand or digital product we do and to prove that they're so exceptional i'm using this outrageous great lakes accent to tell you all about it so if you're curious check out aloha.agency that's aloa.agency for more information hi there i'm nicholas kluger and i beat the often path by spreading rock powder on tropical soils to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and reduce conventional fertilizer and pesticide use in agriculture Today, we'll embark on a journey of innovation and environmental impact with Nicholas Kluger, co-founder and COO of InPlanet. We'll learn how this green tech pioneer with a rich background in environmental engineering and tropical agriculture is revolutionizing carbon dioxide removal with his new startup. From scaling urban farming globally to pioneering something I'd never even heard of called enhanced rock weathering in Brazil, Nicholas is at the forefront of combating climate change and regenerating tropical soils. Their rock powder is able to remove CO2 while regenerating soil, two vitally important things for our sustainable future on this planet. So I'm really looking forward to exploring InPlanet's mission to create a carbon neutral future one gigaton at a time. Right here right now is Nicholas Kluger. I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Well, welcome to the show, Nicholas. I don't get why you're celebrated for spreading rock powder around, and I did that, and it landed me in federal jail, but I think we're talking about uh, a, a different kind of powder, perhaps. Uh, what what are we talking about here? Yeah, we're talking about silicate uh, rock powders, so actually many basalts, uh, which are the, the key types of rocks at the moment used for this technology. Okay. So you have an interesting journey. You've been in uh, climate tech for some time, or at least in the climate space or farming space, agriculture for some time. How did your career begin and why are you on this journey? Well, I think in the first place, I was really hooked on resource management and waste management. I always found it's it's uh, a very big challenge or a major uh, challenge we have to overcome as humanity to better deal with the waste um we put out there right i I think generally waste is the worst invention ever of humanity right um no kidding and i was always really hooked to 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 work in this uh in this uh area actually initially so i did environmental engineering um to to already focus on emissions and waste management and improving uh the way we use resources right um, and uh, the first job I got in was at InFarm, which actually was not directly to do with with waste, but um, actually it's also about reducing right the use of resources uh, in the food sector and also producing food more efficiently. Um, and this was something that really, yeah, really hooked me. I actually turned down a way better offer back then, nice. uh, uh, and and uh, started working for InFarm in, in, in Berlin some couple of years ago already. And this really brought me back to the to farming topic and uh, doing some, yeah, working some, some time in this quite tech-based farming solution. I actually felt the drive to, to go back more towards soil-based agriculture. Uh, so this really 
um, yeah, was kind of a wish of mine. I found it an interesting solution, but being responsible for actually the the, the nutritious solution uh, that you mix right out of different chemicals and then put in the in the farms, I kind of felt a, an urge to to take a step back from that and go back to more soil based forms of agriculture. Um, also, kind of inspired by my granddad, who was a farmer, and also the upcoming uh, excitement and, and, and look into farming practices that are uh, called agroforestry practices, for example. Um, they really um, caught my interest and brought me back to yeah, soil-based agriculture. Well, that's fascinating. You brought up an interesting point there. Did you ever watch the show Futurama by any chance? Is that a show you ever looked at? I, I did, yes, I did. Okay. Uh, I'm not an expert on the on the characters, but I did watch the show sometimes. Yeah. Okay. There was one episode many years ago where obviously they're in the future and uh, he smells this giant ball of garbage that's floating back towards Earth. And of course, in the future, they don't create garbage. But in the past, in what they called old New York, their answer to getting rid of all the garbage was just to blast it into outer space. But then a thousand years later, that giant ball of trash came back and was going to impact with Earth. And what you said kind of reminded me of that because you said waste as an invention. And I don't know if you're being serious about that point, but it is a fascinating topic to explore. Do you see waste as an invention of humans or a byproduct? I'm, I'm curious what you actually think about that. Well, I guess it's the, the problem is that we didn't think our inventions all the way until the end, right? So right. we invented something uh, without thinking about all the consequences. Um, so I would say, yes, it's a human invention because um, we need to right, take care of uh, landfills and need to build processing plants. Um, yeah, actually, we, we start now processing our waste, right? I mean, it's first, it's actually still in the infancy in so many places in the world to do that. Um, we rather just dump it, dump it away. I mean, uh, if we are very strict, I guess the nature itself will find some use for these materials, even if we just dump them there yeah. and they will be turned into something, sure. even though it will take quite some time. Uh, the resilience of nature is always is astonishing, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's. It, I would say it's an invention and it's a very bad one, and mm. um, which we have to overcome to yeah to be smart and and to live on this planet in a better way. I, I completely agree, and we look back to these uh, old tribes of of humans who used all parts of the buffalo, so to speak. At least in the United States, that was the case, and. Now we see this waste and this garbage and all of these things as being an inevitable byproduct. It's impossible to imagine another way, but I think you're right that it's all a result of the convenience and the things that... There's a lot of assumptions that go into our cycle of waste and the way that we produce things and the reasons that we produce things. And I'm sure you must feel this way about the soil and the agriculture itself. For example, grazing on land and then ruining that land and then having to go find new land. So we're very inefficient about the land and the resources and all of the things that we do have, it seems, um, all in the name of short-term goals, it seems like. So talk to me about this um, in-farm time and this urban farming idea. What were you doing then? Well, I was mainly responsible to actually um, take care of the operations and also the maintenance of the of the farms in the first place. That's how I came in at InFarm. 
In a second moment, then, I was more responsible for driving operational standards about how these farms are installed and managed and also maintained um, as we were expanding from, from Berlin to other parts of, of Germany and Europe. And then eventually I was um, very focused on the customer uh, service side, so really making sure that when supermarkets had some kind of demands coming in, that these were processed well in a certain ticketing system and we always attended well the demands of the of the customers yeah and besides this all the time also a big focus was the the to drive and expand the whole infrastructure around the the nutrient solution right so what the plants basically got to grow yeah yeah and i was doing some research and i saw you learned about the realities of tropical agriculture what does that mean what are the realities of tropical agriculture i would say a lot um as you as you just mentioned um in brazil we have a lot of a lot of space um and a lot of area which is used um very extensively especially in in, in pasture um and we see that much of the space is used extensively and inefficiently. So it's not really being managed, to be honest, right? It's, I think, um, especially now, I, I know most about the reality of Brazil, so tropical mm -hmm. agriculture might be a little um, okay. too much, but <laughs> I definitely know, um, know quite some about the Brazilian reality of agriculture. And there we have one of the big issues are these gigantic pasture lands, which are not really being managed, which are very extensive, uh, low number of cows, a low investment um, and you basically have cows grazing there on gigantic land masses with very little um, output of, of, of beef or of, of milk um, and they are degrading they keep degrading right the soil is not being covered and um, there is little yeah i would say little um, landscape planning also being uh, being realized i i always um was wondering a long time what's really the difference when you look at it in, in, in the german landscape and the brazilian landscape mm. and because in fact when you look from above um the deforestation issue right i mean in fact in europe we already deforested everything it's gone right yeah. it's gone exactly and um, in brazil they did the same in, in many parts and when you, however, when you walk on a, on, a, on a kind of a German landscape and a Brazilian landscape, it looks very different um, mm. because in Germany, you have these trees planted along the roads and you have these smaller fields being planned, well planned, you know, yeah. um, it's more, um, more sectorized and there's smaller fields. Whereas in Brazil, you have these enormous amounts of lands, uh, which leads people then to automatically um yeah take this to an extreme and it, you know like this the soil fields there are a thousand hectares big and they're not like uh, sectorized in um in smaller compartments um which i always find gives 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 the the, the landscape a very different uh touch you know agriculturally speaking mm. but yeah the realities of of um of uh, tropical farming i think are also that much of what is, has been developed and uh, actually optimized for the for the temperate regions 
um, has been taken to the tropical reality and just applied as a as a yeah as a solution there as well, right? Even though we have different soils, um, we have different um, climates. So specifically for the tropical soils and the, for the tropical reality, there's still sometimes applied a recipe which is not really optimized for um, the tropical reality as coming from a temperate, from temperate research or temperate mm. uh, fertilizer producers, for example. So when was your first time going into Brazil? When did you see this firsthand yourself? Um, the first time I went to Brazil was after school, actually. I went to do a social, social service. I was always very, um, yeah, I was, was very keen to work, um, like socially contribute something, um, especially after, after school. Um, coming from a yeah, quite privileged um, little little town in Germany, and uh, I was yeah keen to to do the social service in Latin America, and ended up getting this opportunity via actually um, a teacher yeah who who indicated this NGO, and um, yeah I went there for six months to Brazil, to Sao Paulo and to the interior of Piauí, which is. Uh, uh, it's the northeast of Brazil, so I, I got to learn totally different realities of the country. So did it blow your mind? Was it just instantaneously? or? Well, yes. I mean, yes, you definitely got to know some, some very different reality from, from where I've grown up. I think it was the first time really uh, getting out of the U.S. European uh, reality and comfort zone, I would say. So it was definitely um, mind-blowing and, and a big insight and, and changed my, my perception of the realities that, that, that live in the world, yeah. That's incredible. So you become aware of this massive, let's call it a problem, that affects not just Brazil, but many countries around the world. And in some ways, all of us, obviously, no matter where we live, we just maybe don't see it every day, depending on where we live. When did you decide that you were going to transition into making a startup? And why did you decide to create this business? What was the insight there versus doing anything else that you could have done? Uh, well, I think um, the whole story started basically with back going to my, my, um, my fascination for, for resources and Look, one, one, one study that I read when I was 18, which is called The Limits of Growth, uh, right, from, from the Meadows um, couple, I think was something that really impacted me a lot. And um, so, and there was also a chapter about uh, emissions and, you know, resource use and all these kind of things. And um, I think this was a big kickoff, a big driver for me um, that, that really shifted my attention to to this, these kind of issues. Before that, I actually wanted to become a, a jazz musician. I was oh, very, nice! Yeah, I was very keen about uh, playing saxophone. But that's awesome. The moment I read the book, I was like, "No, I can't! I can't uh, dedicate my life to playing saxophone anymore. I have to! Uh, I have to do this. It's it's just so, yeah, so serious. And and it really, I really felt a, a inner urge to to focus on that. I still play saxophone, and it's really okay. great and important for me. But um, but I'm 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 very happy that I have focused on on dedicating my life to to these resource and, and environmental issues, um, and then um, actually through my master studies, I would say I got a lot into the 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 carbon removal and carbon market space, 
because it was all about carbon, carbon markets and agriculture. Um, so the, the masters that I did were really much, very much laying the groundwork from a content perspective of what I do today at Planet. And I would say I already went to Brazil um, after my time at Infarm starting the masters, actually Corona started and I, I, I took the Corona time to do a project in Brazil. So I didn't stay, stay locked up here in, in Berlin. In That's my a room. good I trade. Yeah, I went to Brazilian interior in like a very small town where I then um, executed a project with an NGO, with the same NGO that I've actually been after school, where we set up a little nursery, a little house where we, where we, where we gave courses about sustainable agriculture for small scale farmers and also um, ecotourism courses in the Serra da Capivara in the northeast of Brazil. And I already used this time to work out my thesis, which was all about how to use carbon markets to actually reforest um, the, the semi-dry regions in Brazil, which, which have a big problem of, uh, of, deforest, uh, of, de of desertification yeah. due to the increasingly um, intense dry periods. So, and this was already all shifting kind of my interest towards yeah, how to use carbon markets to make agriculture and to make farming um, basically to bring resources to the land to improve your soil, restore land. This was I, my, my big focus in my, in my masters. And I think it really caught my big interest and I was really invested in this. And I would say the final kickoff then to found the company really was my current, my, my now co-founder Felix, who I know back from university, actually, he was my first friend in university. And uh, we always had this idea to start something. He was very entrepreneurially uh, active throughout um, the whole years already while I was um, yeah, more focused on studying and working in farm than doing my master's. So he came with this uh, certain frustration, uh, wanting to actually offset the carbon emissions from his business and felt that he couldn't really find a really serious solution or something that, 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 that had the quality that he would be comfortable in, in purchasing. And he, he met me in Brazil, we traveled and I was sharing these, yeah, all these ideas around carbon markets and make agriculture more efficient, use the power of carbon markets to restore the soil and yeah, use agriculture itself to remove uh, carbon from the atmosphere. And this was really the moment when I guess my, my, my technical inspiration was, was combined with uh, Felix's uh, strong entrepreneurial spirit and push. And we decided to um, hand in an application and an accelerator in the European Union where we were accepted. And mm. basically this was the starting point of our journey, which now lasts two years and a little bit. Yeah, this was August. Cool story. Um, 2021. That's a great, great story. And what I found so fascinating learning about you and your company is it's a technique that I hadn't seen before. I've talked to a few people with different solutions on this show about drawing down CO2 and carbon emission and carbon capture from somebody who's inventing giant machines that can pull carbon from the air to somebody who's using algae farms to pull carbon to somebody who's using a type of sand on beaches to pull carbon. I've seen a lot of crazy and interesting solutions, mm -hmm. but yours is new to me. 
It's called enhanced rock weathering, and it has this dual function. So how did you land on this? Well, first of all, what is it? And how did you decide this was the path for you? Yeah, indeed, the, the enhanced rock weathering a word is something that uh, we still have to have to explain to many people. I guess that's yeah. the challenge of the of the technology, but that's also the exciting part. Mm. So what it's basically about is that when you have certain types of rocks and they weather, so weather means nothing else than uh, that they dissolve or disintegrate together with the reaction of water and the atmosphere, they actually sequester CO2 from the atmosphere. Um, it, you can imagine the rock is something like a catalytic surface or a, cat a catalysator who, through the reaction, um, creates a byproduct that's a bicarbonate. And this bicarbonate is what we actually produce. So you could um, imagine the, the enhanced rock weather technology as a bicarbonate producer, which is a form of carbon that's stored in the water. It's in any water you drink, for example, usually you find a bicarbonate indication on the on the bottle um, when you buy drinking water. And you can imagine that when you have a block of rock, let's take a cubic meter of basalt, and you put it out in nature and you wait that it weathers so that it's dissolving, basically, you can imagine this will, will take quite a while, probably a million sure. years. Right. Right. By now taking this this cubic meter of rock and crushing it into very fine powder, we're talk, talking like a flower actually, and you expose it to the yeah to the same environment that you expose the cubic meter to, you can actually reduce this weathering process um, by many many magnitudes. So what takes a million years, we can now actually make happen in five years, for example. Mm. Um, so this is why it's called enhanced or actually accelerated weathering uh, would maybe be a more adequate yeah. term for the public to understand. Yeah, That makes sense. And is it only certain types of rocks or what, what types of rocks achieve this function? Yeah, it's mainly silicate bearing rocks. So yeah. the, the, the main two types of rocks we have in the world are carbonate bearing rocks and silicate bearing rocks. Carbonate bearing rocks, you can actually imagine is a form of carbon that's stored um, in rocks. It's a type of fossil carbon, right? And when we use these kind of rocks, we can actually also emit CO2. We use silicate rocks, which do not bear any carbon, and apply these, and through their reaction, we can actually remove CO2 from the atmosphere. Amazing. So this is an interesting thing. I was reading in this book, um, I think it's called Exhalation by Ted Chang, and he talks about a society that realizes science fiction. He talks about a society that realizes they, they operate on some kind of gas that comes up from the earth. It's a metaphor for humans, obviously, and they're, they're machines and they need this gas to run their machines. And they realize at a certain point that they're running out of gas to run these machines. And they try to devise solutions that will help them produce more of this gas or conserve it or put more gas back into the earth so that they can live longer. But in the end, they discover that uh, the energy that it takes them to create the solution is exactly equal to the amount of energy that it takes that they would receive from it. So the, they end up dying off as a species in this book. Are we able to, with the energy to accelerate this uh, weathering 
are we able to use less carbon in the process of doing this than we capture on the other side? Yes, yes, we are. In, in, luckily, we're indeed able to do so. We we run, for example, life cycle assessments for our projects, and this usually shows that we emit of all the potential we have around five to six percent through the grinding, transporting, applying the rock. Um, and this number is even quite conservative. So we were lately criticized from a competitor that we were too conservative with our life cycle assessment. So potentially this is even less. Um, we have to make sure what for what we do that we do it very locally. So what does not make a lot of sense is to transport rock to another continent or even much further away than 200 kilometers, for example, from a mine. So we try to really make very local pro projects and this way we can make sure that what we do actually makes sense and we don't end up in the in the dilemma um, of spending more energy and emission, emitting more than, than, we, that we had, than what we actually sequester. Yeah. Just blasting fossil fuels at this rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the dual function, I love win-win-wins. And in this case, the win-win-win is the win for the carbon drawdown. The win is also for the farmers. And the win is, of course, for you as an individual building a business or some kind of concept around this. Those are the most fascinating ideas to me. I enjoy and the them. mines, I would also add. I would add the mine also as a, as a benefit because often what we use as a base product at the moment is a, is a let's say, a residue stream in the mine. So we use fines which many mines cannot really use. So it's actually, um, here comes also back the, the big fascination of mine for resources and recycling, yeah. which is, I think, what I find is extremely exciting about in Planet because actually all the passions come together. Um, so it's about farming, it's about uh, carbon removing, which is actually also a type of, I guess, waste management, right? And sure. we even use, let's say, residue streams in the mines to drive the process. So we have a very, yeah, win-win-win situation. Win-win-win-win, if you say we also yeah. win. Um, so, I yeah, that's, I think that's so. very fascinating, yeah. I mean, that's my favorite kind of thing to hear about because we don't like to believe that such things are possible. I think we're sort of conditioned to believe that, oh, stuff like that's too good to be true. But when I hear these, that's when I perk up right away and I think, oh, man, how cool is this? So what is the effect? Because if I'm not mistaken, you can... You know, for every five, let's just say for every five kilos of this powder that you sprinkle somewhere, you get one kilo back of carbon. I think that's the ratio of five to one, more or less. Um, what is the effect for uh, the the farming and the agriculture? How does it work in that environment? Because you have testimonials of a lot of farmers who are saying, oh, this is great and it's something that I never knew about. So what what's going on there? Yeah, indeed. I mean, what you can imagine what we do by spreading this rock on these soils, especially in the tropics. So maybe another reality of tropical agriculture, which I forgot earlier, is that we have very different soils, very mineral depleted soils. So they are very old and actually weathered. This means the soil has already lost a lot of nutrients and minerals. And by adding these fresh rock powders, what we can achieve is remineralizing the soil. So we really add fresh minerals, we rebuild the soil literally. So that's also an important point we have to point out. By putting rock or by rock weathering, actually, we produce soil. The, the rock weathering process is the key process globally for the production of soils. Without this pro process, there would be no life on Earth, basically. Um, so we, we really make the soil um, 
nutritious again and we refresh it, we rejuvenate it, you could also say. Um, and through this effect, we can really show that the, the fertility, the health of the plants and consequently the, the need for conventional fertilizers and also even pesticides can be much reduced. So especially in Brazil, we have a very, yeah, it's still a very small and emerging group of farmers that does this, but within this group, we have quite some exciting experiences already for, for some years. They, they are already using these inputs and we have specific farmers um, that this obviously don't, doesn't work for all the crops, but in certain crops they achieved up to 100% um, replacement of the conventional inputs with certain rock powders and also bio inputs. So the potential is really big. Wow, that's just amazing. So also healthier food, would that be a fifth win there? Exactly, it is actually, yeah. <laughs> okay. It starts really to, to become a, a handful, but one big issue we face in agriculture nowadays in general is that we have more and more volume that we produce, right? But the volume is actually less nutritious. Yeah. Meaning that what is missing our food is the actual nutritious value. So we eat a lot of volume, a lot of calories, but what is missing, and we actually get sick from it, right? In, a, in often, often days, the modern food actually makes us sick. And a key aspect of why it makes us sick is that the mineral, the balance of minerals in the soils, especially that we grow our food on, is not given anymore. And by adding these fresh minerals and remineralizing the soils, we can produce healthy food again. Yeah, That's just so, so, so cool. What types of crops... Uh, are best suited for this? What types of fields work best with this? Generally, the goal would be to basically achieve applying this technology to almost all tropical, not maybe even global farmlands, so we can reach the climate goals. So there's not necessarily, um, let's say, soils where, um, well, I have to correct, there's some soils, like very carbon-rich soils, for example, we should not apply this because it can actually also uh, liberate the carbon in the soils. But these types of soils are, when you look at the global, globally available soils, a clear minority. So it's actually applicable to most as uh, soil types, especially in the tropics and also in the temperate zones. When it's about cultures that, uh, that it has a benefit to, it has a benefit to basically all cultures because all cultures benefit from um, higher nutrients, higher mineral levels in the soils, right? Um, in some cases, depending on the material we use, we have to be a little bit careful to look what is in the material and what is in the soil to not um, create imbalances here. But we are currently working with basalts and basalts are generally very safe rocks in terms of balance mm -hmm. and equilibrium of, of what we're putting in here. We also see that uh, certain crops, for example, the, the sugarcane crop uh, can benefit enormously from this kind of application of especially silicate that's in the rock because uh, it's a grass, it grows very, very fast. It needs a lot of silica to build the structure and actually they, they de deplete the soil very quickly of silica. Uh, and so, for example, the sugarcane crop is a crop that has an especially strong and, and, and intense benefit from this kind of technology. Amazing. What a cool, cool concept. So do you feel two years in that you've made the right choice? Do you feel good about your decision to start this company, maybe 
not necessarily being an entrepreneur at the start of this? What do you mean not being an entrepreneur at the oh, start? Uh, well, you said your partner was really the entrepreneurially driven force. And it seems to me that uh, that maybe this was yeah. sort of a new concept for you personally. Do you feel yeah. that you've made the right choice with your life arc? Do you feel good about the path? Definitely, you're on definitely. And I, I would say I also bring a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and, yeah. and it makes a lot of sense for me to be an entrepreneur. I, I might mm. not have founded a company before, but... Mm. Uh, started various projects and always been very entrepreneurial in my in my yeah ways of educate myself or mm. or certain certain trips and accelerator programs that I passed through. So I always I, I always was very fascinated from the idea to to start something um, from scratch and then make something really impactful and valuable out of it. So, um, but definitely, yeah, it, 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 Felix gave the last, the last notch. Then <laughs> it's just a push. You were already on your way. Yeah. And said, Let's apply here in the European Union. That's accelerator. So cool. and this was then the last, um, pinch of salt that was missing. I mm -hmm. definitely don't regret anything. I think, I'm, um, I, I, I've, I, I said to that, that actually, I mean, what happened in the last 12 months, especially in 2023, it really, like all our expectations were yeah overwhelmed well actually we passed all of our expectations so Incredible. everything that happens in terms of funding number of projects team size um anything really surpassed our our wildest imagination to be honest um and this really is um how you say it's really reaffirming right because you feel Okay, you do something that you're passionate about and actually it's also something that the market wants to push i think we're in a very um nice timing right timing is always this key aspect for for building a company and starting something and i think the timing is really right and also the place i think we're in the best place maybe that's something that has to be mentioned also and the tropical reality for what we do the weathering the intensity of weathering through the climate we have there is especially high so in terms of where this technology will be the most efficient it is very very likely that we are in the right place in the tropics and um, i'm living uh, besides this, i'm living in another country so i I'm being immersed in a new culture, which I, I also love. Uh, actually, I'm actually quite homesick right now. And <laughs> I'm in Berlin, and I I can't wait to fly back to Brazil, um, back in the in the tropical warmth. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, I don't regret anything, and it's it it's uh, it's it's been really great. And uh, I can I can I can feel now that from this. First year, it now becomes also uh, everything becomes a lot more serious and a lot, um, lot bigger. But um, I'm very much, yeah, looking looking forward to this to this second year of Infinite. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, I hope you can get on a flight for for business reasons. Obviously, back to Brazil soon before the winter is over, at least. Uh, Get back to your hammock in your house. <laughs> Sounds quite nice. I will on Monday, next Monday. Ah, very good, very good. Um, but yeah, like I said at the beginning, you know, sometimes you just come across these ideas and they just stick out, and this is definitely one of them. I'm always in search of these things that seem too good to be true, or these things that just seem different than anything I'd ever heard before, or unique. That's to me the great fascination of conducting interviews like this and getting to know pe people such as yourself. So. 
Uh, I think it's awesome. I can't wait to see. I hope you achieve your goal of the you know several thousand tons of carbon drawn down and the several thousand tons of rock powder laid. I, I'm sure you will. Seems like you're poised to do it. You have a venture, like you said, backing from several good partners. Um, so for me, it just it just looks like a really cool thing, and I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk about it. So I really appreciate you you taking the time, Nicholas. It's awesome. Indeed, yeah, I I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Um, I'm it's very very grateful for for having the stage for being able to share about this because I think it's indeed something that um, we need to educate the society more. Even that this is a a proper solution, as you as you just said, this term enhanced weathering I think is is very cryptic uh, still. And one of the key goals or key activities we as in planet will have to do is actually educate the yeah, larger society about the impact and the power of this solution especially you talked about thousands of tons right in the end yeah. what is really the goal of the sector is that we can provide a solution that removes a gigaton so a billion of tons of co2 right. from the atmosphere per year by 2050 and this is a it's, it's a massive challenge it's a really um, incredible yeah, growth paths we need to travel. It's an incredible large community we need to build of minds, of farmers, of researchers, of investors, of, of customers, of whoever you want to include. Actually, everyone would have to participate and even spread a little bit of rock powder in his garden and on mm. his tomatoes um, because it really, every hectare and every kilo um, then will really count to reach this goal. And um yeah, so thanks for, for enabling uh, right. us to share a little bit of this story and uh, hopefully build uh, a new part of the community here and this yeah. way even enlarge the chances so we reach the, the gigaton goal and really have an impact That's on right. climate in the future. And one thing that it reminds me of and what your story and these circular economy and these ideas and the, the thought and train of thought you've been on for so many years it reminds us of how interconnected all of these seemingly unrelated things actually are. We know on some level that pesticides being sprayed on commercial food, it's a probable carcinogen like glyphosate. We know these things are bad for us. We know eating refined foods, especially condensed versions of these pesticides, which is all around us, certainly in the United States, less so in the European Union, where they're a bit stricter about that. We know that this food is bad and it's causing these kinds of bad health outcomes, perhaps like cancer and so many other things. And so we don't necessarily know that the food that we eat is connected to this agricultural process. And we, again, believe we need to spray Roundup on every single thing to achieve this. We need to have these giant fields to provide beef for the entire world. But all of these interconnected things, even down to the waste product of a mine, these things that we're so taught to be separate are actually interconnected. And if we can just see how they're connected in a more clear way, we can understand how changing one thing over here can impact all of these other things. And I think that's just the coolest part. And anybody who does that, again, people such as yourself who take the time to study these things, I just have infinite respect for because we need more people like you who are looking down these rabbit holes and saying, hey, here's a brilliant idea. So that's... Yeah why i'm so maybe maybe two 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 more aspects i think you are very yeah. fascinating also about this technology and 
uh, interconnectedness. So um, at one point, what we can actually achieve through the production of these bicarbonates, through the weathering of the rock, that this is being transported eventually to the oceans. What we have is a acidification of the oceans at the moment. And the addition of these bicarbonates can actually reverse this process. So we can reduce the acidification of the ocean. So exactly what we do at the moment with uh, ex excessive fertilizer use, also a very direct impact, right? Is the sargassum blossom in the Gulf of Mexico, which is actually much, much driven by Brazilian farmers applying fertilizers in central Brazilian soils. We can actually start to reverse and balance back, which could even, um, or we actually will even, if we succeed to the um, yeah, rebuilding of coral reefs and all these kind of things. So it's indeed everything is interconnected. And another key aspect also why it is so keen uh, or so interesting, why we should be so keen to uh, identifying local mineral sources for our agriculture is that what especially again the tropical agriculture does another reality of tropical agriculture is that importation of fertilizers is happening from very distant places so much of the of the phosphate and nitrogen fertilizers actually come from the northern hemisphere so we have a very very high dependency of these countries especially brazil in this case on imported fertilizer being an agricultural country, this is uh, quite a vulnerability, right? Yeah. We want to actually, yeah, stop or reverse as soon as possible. And this is another aspect of these local rock powders. They can really provide a, a something you can buy in your local mine uh, against something you import from Canada or from Russia and has to travel all the world. And um, yeah, it's then much more expensive and has way, uh, yeah, way worse carbon footprint also. So that's another aspect, influencing the oceans positively if we think big and actually using something local for agricultural production instead of wide traveled um, fertilizers. So six wins, seven wins, eight wins, the list goes on and on. A bunch of wins. It's very good. That's where we give the clap. Great job. Thanks for the interview. Um, very awesome. Last thing to wrap it up. Uh, where can people find you and support you? You can promote yourself however you like. Sure. Um, you can find us in all the important channels. So you should type in planet, like EN and then planet in LinkedIn, Instagram, Google, um, X. So yeah, the important places we're present. Uh, we also just rebranded actually a couple months ago. So definitely come check us out, follow us. Um, on the respective channels. If you're a farmer, especially in, in the tropics and Latin America, but also in other tropical countries, look out for a local mine, get in touch with us. Uh, we can help you figuring out how to make a project work. We can figure out how good the potential of certain rocks and residue streams in the mining sector are. And yeah, let's connect um, via website or Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever social media so we can make sure that we actually build a community that can achieve these uh, massive goals that you can really as a global community impact the climate that's the that's the big goal overall well I think it's amazing and uh, with that 
Thank you once again, and the official podcast is over. My God, what an episode was that. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and the fact that you're still here means that you either enjoyed it a lot or you just forgot that it was playing in the background and this is just waking you up from your sleep. What? What? Oh, right. I gotta get those beans off of the oven before they burn. Well, either way, you're here, and I'm gonna take this time to remind you that if you're here, you have the power to help this show grow by listening to older episodes, finding some of the gold in the guests that we've had before from millionaires and billionaires and just crazy entrepreneurs and creatives and artists, people truly building a better world for us all. Go back through there, listen to some old episodes, subscribe, share, do all of the things. Be a part of the show and more importantly, be a part of the mission to support the kind of people building a better world for us all. And I will see you next week. Thank you.